We'll be in Exodus chapter 3, if you want to turn in that direction. Good to be back with you. Thanks, Hank. I uh, appreciate, appreciate that. Um, Exodus chapter 3. As you go in that direction, a couple... Um, well, there's a lot. This, this is a fun time of year because everybody's kind of getting back in the in the groove of things. And um, one of the things that is uh, kind of like really fun about church life to me is uh, seeing new people come and want to be a part of things and um, microphones that work. Yeah. Um, and some of that is people, you know, move, move to a town like Baton Rouge for different reasons. And, uh, you know, there's so many good churches, uh, in, in our city and God's just doing a lot of things, in a lot of communities. And it's cool to see God find a home for people who are new to things. And so, um, if you are new to Baton Rouge, I'm super glad that you're here. I know that, uh, LSU starts tomorrow and so all our universities are back up and running and, uh, all of the, you know, Pretty much everyone's back in school now, and so um, if you're new to the city, we'd love to have you be a part of, of things here, and if you're like, I don't know if that's a place for me, can you help me find somewhere else? Well, if you find somewhere else, but God has a home for his people, and um, especially uh, especially when you are away from your normal home, and that's one of the things about college ministry that is uh, near and dear to us as a church is that uh, that some of our a lot of us come from that you know, background in terms of going to school here in town and stuff and um, have kind of made Baton Rouge home and so uh, but a lot of people know what it's like to be away from your family for the first time and that, and that kind of stuff and so if we can kind of be a home away from home we want to we want to definitely be able to do that and then when it comes to actually like making a commitment to this group of people there is a a a process that we take people through uh, when it comes into like joining the the covenant family here, um, and a lot, a lot of churches in America, you, you know, you, they call it church membership. Like, are you a member? That ought, that's not my favorite word to use, which is kind of a common thing. But, but really, like, you can be a member of a of a club or a member of you know Sam's, I guess, or whatever Costco. You know, the old fight. But uh, you can also be a member of a family, and that's kind of how we approach it. And so we're going to be doing uh, some some of those classes where we kind of tell you, hey, here's everything you need to know about our family, uh, how we uh, how we got to this point uh, about the the churches fusing together. Uh, this is how we make decisions. This is how our leadership works. This is how, how we handle money. All that, all the things that you would want to know before you say, yeah, that's the family I want to be a part of. And so we're going to be sending out some emails and different things for, uh, to kind of get an idea of who wants to come and kind of go through that class and stuff like that. So that'll be coming up. Um, but, you know, God is at work, and that's really the main, the main thing that, that we have to, to, re, to keep in mind is that um, we serve a God who's living and active, uh, we we are are walking with Jesus as individuals, and then also corporately as a family, and then also as churches interconnected all over the globe. We're all doing this together, and uh, like we were praying a little while ago, like we're a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. That a God that's bigger than us, uh, a church like capital C global church that's bigger than us, um, and you're a, like you can be a part of this local church. Uh, that's bigger than you as an individual. And um, God is always doing, he's always just at work. And Moses, you know, is one of the, one of the biblical figures that we um, look to a lot. Um, 
in his uh, there's just so much of of like the the Old Testament and then of course the New Testament's referencing back. Like he's just such a crucial figure for us. And we're going to look this morning at uh, one of the more more uh, famous, I guess, so to speak, stories about him, and kind of just make some observations here. So look in look at verse one of chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock uh, to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. He said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. All right, now we're, we're going to look at the next paragraph in a minute. We're going to stop there for a, for a second. So, why, like, why would God? Why, like, a, a shrub that's on fire but not being consumed that talks? You know, like, part of it is I think God just has a really good sense of humor. You know, like I think He's like this would be hilarious a little bit. You know, like. Um, and maybe you don't agree, and that's fine. But I think God has a good sense of humor. So he's like, I'm going to do this thing that Moses will not be able to resist. Like, I, I personally feel like he's like, I created Moses. I know what's going to get his attention. And he's going to notice that, one, on the side of a mountain, why is that thing on fire? But also, why is it not being consumed? You know, like we watch bonfires. We watch, uh, you know, fire pits consume stuff. I remember some of you may have been on this. There's a Mexico trip, uh, Mexico mission trip. One time, and we were in La Madrid, which is this little, like, little town in the middle of these mountains in northeast Mexico. And everyone just, we see, like, everyone's just, like, running down the street in the same direction. And so we don't know what's going on, but we just, they're either trying to get away from something bad or to something good. Either way, we're like, we're in. So we jump in, we start running, and we see, like, smoke, so something's on fire, and there's a, there's a minivan that's on fire. And I remember it vividly. It was an Astro van. Like a first generation Astro van, and uh, it was like completely burned, like just like completely on fire. And what happened was some uh, too young to be driving uh, age kids uh, had taken this Astro van uh, to go and pick up two things. One was fireworks, <laughs> and the other was propane. And so on their way back. Being too young to drive, they're thinking they're like lighting fireworks and throwing them out the window, and throw it out the window. The wind blows it back in the car. Uh, it being a first generation Astro van, it the interior caught on fire. So they pull over to the side of the road. They grab the propane tanks, thankfully, and get out. But it's too late at this point, and so we everyone's running to watch this Astro van just burn up, and and so we're all just standing there, like no one's trying to stop it, like no one, everyone's just like. You just have to accept it. Just lean into it. This is happening. 
and uh, like everyone's watching, you know, and then like every time, like, because if you've ever seen anything burn like that, like the tires kind of explode. And every time it would explode, the whole crowd would cheer. Everyone would cheer for it, you know, waiting for the gas tank, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it, but, but we watched this thing burn to a crisp. And then like two years later, we're back in the same town and it's still, it's still sitting there, like just completely burned. Like it was consuming and we were, like, we wanted to watch it burn up. But I think that God knew that Moses was going to notice the fact that this one was not, is not being consumed. Like this is not normal, not normal fire. So he goes over to it and, um, it starts to talk to him, which is another reason why this is not a normal situation. Uh, but look, look at what, look at what God says in, in verse six. It says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What God is doing in that moment, like those, that string of phrases, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that is uh, what I've, I've heard someone refer to something like that in the Bible as like a suitcase phrase. Like it's one phrase that carries inside of it a lot of things. And so when God says that, what would come to mind would be the promise made to Abraham that, that, that God would make him the father of many nations and all the nations of the earth, of the earth would be blessed through him. That even in his oldest of, of age, God would give him a son, his own heir, to pass on. And from there, uh, it would, like, um, he would have kids and they would, they would have kids. And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's the family lineage and so when God says that, he's saying, hey, I'm, I am the God who makes ridiculously amazing promises and then keeps them. But he starts off and he says, I'm the God of your father. So I'm the God of your, your dad, who is a part of the promises connected to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. If you know Moses' story, he was born born as a Hebrew. And at the time, the Pharaoh was trying to basically do population control of the Hebrew slaves. And so he had all the boys killed. And so his mom uh, made a little boat for him basically, and like sent him down the river, hoping to save his life. And he gets pulled into Pharaoh's daughter's uh, house, gets raised in that household. And so Moses probably had some identity issues, you know, like he he knew that the Hebrew slaves, that those were his people, but yet he grew up in the royal palace. You know, there had to be some, had to be some internal tension. And, and we even see that when he goes out one time, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he just loses his mind and he doesn't know why. It's because he's looking at his, the oppression of his own people. And so God in this moment says, um, this, this is who I am. I'm the, I'm, I'm your, I'm the God of your people. I'm the God who made this promise and has created this nation. Um, that is who's speaking to you right now. So um, take your shoes off. You know, like this is not a normal patch of ground that you're standing on. Look at the way he tells him at verse five. Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Says this space is transformed, not because the space is special, but because God is doing something special in His midst. When you think about Moses as a shepherd, without getting too graphic, the sandals of a shepherd were probably a little filthy. He says, "Hey, take your shoe. That has no place here. This is, is holy ground. Holy meaning." Sacred, holy meaning set apart from the other ground. Holy also meaning 
like pure, uh, with like no um, no deficiencies, no you know, not, there's nothing wrong. Like it's completely pristine, but also it is it is other. Like there's no other place on the entire planet like this place because of who God is. So take those nasty sandals off your feet and let your flesh come into contact with this holiness. This is a special moment. Don't treat this like other moments. This is a special moment. Breathe it in. Pay attention. Realize who is speaking to you in this moment. Now, that sent me down down a rabbit hole of thought. Because I kind of was sitting there and I was like, wow, that's, I mean, I love that story. And I started to really think, like, what, what does, like, why don't I personally have those, those kinds of moments where I realize, like, Man, something special is happening here. I, this is not. This is a moment that's not like other moments. This is a a place that's not like other places. This is like that big God that we sang about and sang to and and prayed to and prayed about, and the same God who's speaking to Moses in this moment. That 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 is who I am interacting with all the time. Like, why don't I have those moments where I'm just kind of stunned with that reality? And maybe it's just me, so maybe this is just, you know, Josh's little confession time, but maybe you can relate to. And so I, I started just to think about that, of like, man, I, I should have more sacred moments and sacred spaces. And I, and I think that there's a, that we have to be careful about something. Um, we're on, you know, we're on this, this side of the cross, this side of history. We have all these um, brilliant people writing all these books based on these ancient texts. And there's so much that we know about the Bible now. And, and one of the things that's, that's tremendous is, is like these like theological understandings that we can have. And one of those that I find to be the most, one of the most transformative is the omnipresence of God. The fact that God is 100% present everywhere all the time. That um, he is, he's not more present in heaven than he is here. You know, he's not like 85% here, but 100% there. He's 100% there, 100% here. And he is just as present in the school building as he is in the city council chambers, as he is in the parish jail, as he is in the basketball arena, as he is in the bars in Tigerland, as he is in the sanctuary that you're sitting in, as he is in the place where you live, as he, as he is in the uh, red light district of Calcutta, as he is in the darkest places on the earth where, where idols are being worshipped constantly. Like, like I, I could not get to a point where I have come up with somewhere that he's not 100% present. And that's an amazing like truth. It's a part of our like this like doctrinal thing that we grab onto, and we recognize that there's never a moment where you are outside of the presence of God. But if we are not careful, what talk amongst yourselves? Um, if we're not careful, the application of that can be so universal 
that God's everywhere and he's kind of nowhere, you know? Like if every, every space is full of God, then like what makes a space special? And, and here's, here's what I think it is, is that there's a difference between God being present and God moving. Those are two different things. God can be present in the, the place where you live, but he may not be moving. God can be present in a worship service, but he may not be active, moving. I don't even think, oh, it's blasphemous. But no, but really, but think about it. There's a difference between those things. God was present in this shrub that was, you know, before Moses got to the mountain. But then God said, I'm going to move in this moment. And it changed things to the point where Moses needed to take his sandals off. There's a difference between those things. And so while he is present everywhere, what we want is for him to move. We want to say, okay, we're recognizing that you're here. Um, let's, let's get down to business, you know, like, what do you, what do you want to say to us? What do you want to do uh, among us? Like, um, like one of my, one of my like fears is that like, I don't ever want to become a person or a part of a church that just goes through the motions. And I'm not saying that I think that we're, that that's us. Okay. So don't hear this as corrective, but this is just one of those things that's always on my radar is how easily we can become uh, another church that's out there. And there's a lot of them out there where you show up, you attend this thing, you listen to some songs, you participate in some stuff, you hear a sermon, all that kind of stuff. And you're just like, let's just get on with it. Cause we got somewhere to eat. You know, we got things to do with our Sunday. One of my fears is that I'll become that the kind of person or become a part of a church that just goes through the motions and just says, whatever. Instead of a church that says, no, like w- there's something holy and special about to happen in that place. Like, we're going to gather together and the omnipresent God, we're going to ask him to move by bringing our humble hearts before him and saying, what do you want to tell us? What do you want to do this morning? We're going to sing these songs to you and, and about you. And we're going to pray prayers and we're going to look at, at your word and we're going to interact with each other. And we're going to put our arms around each other as a family. Like, we're going to do this thing. But will you move? Will you like set it on fire and speak to us to the point where there's a part of us that wants to take the sandals off our feet, you know? Like, can you stop us in our tracks? And see, Moses, he's walking along and he's like, oh, look at that thing. And he, and he turns and said, I'm going to go check this out. Like, like God had to get his attention. But I don't want to be the kind of person that God has to get my attention. I want to be the kind of person that says, Lord, I'm going to set my attention on you. I'm going in ready to listen. I'm going to get there early. I'm not missing the first song. I'm not missing the, the prayer time. I'm not doing whatever. And I understand there's a lot of factors in getting here on Sunday mornings. I'm not trying to be like, you know, whatever. I understand sometimes your kids, they don't have the priorities that you have. Okay, I understand. It's a different world. But what I'm saying is that like, like that's the, that, that I believe is, is who God is continuing to make his people into. 
are the kind of people that say, uh, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to like wait for him to get my attention. I'm giving him my attention. I'm listening. I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to pray the prayers. I'm going to listen to the, to the word. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to fully engage because I believe that God has something to say that this is holy ground that we are on. So let's get after it. And all I can do as a part of this family is I can just, I can, I can bring that to the table for me. And I can pray and hope that everyone does. But can you imagine like hundreds of people gathering together and that's everyone's mindset? Like, can you, uh, can you imagine the, the ridiculous like environment that churches all over the planet would be in if, if that is what was just constantly right in front of us? And it may be in, in front of you, but it may not be in front of you. And all I really felt like that God was like, hey, I'm going to show you something about yourself. And there's probably a few more in the room that maybe would need to hear it too. And so um, Moses had to carry that forward with him. Like Moses had to, he, he had to carry that into what God was about to call him to do. It was like this recognition of like, okay, I'm now connected to someone that is bigger than me. Something is bigger than myself. Is there like a, like a, something pulling this off of my ear? Can y'all see it? Like a, like a mosquito or something. I didn't realize my ears moved this much, but apparently they do. I'm sorry. It's just bothering me. So, all right. So, so here's, so, so there's Moses in this moment and God's like, take your shoes off. This is not, this is not like other times. It's not like other places. There's a sacredness to this space. And if sacred space, if that looks like this room on Sundays or the living room where your community group gathers or one of the rooms here at the building where small groups gather on Sunday mornings or whether that's your, your time with the Lord, like there's, a, there's just a difference between him being with you and then him moving and I think a lot of it has to do with attention and saying, I'm putting the phone away. I'm turning the TV off. I'm, I'm prioritizing this. I want to, I want to, I want to be with you. What do you want to say to me? So now God has Moses attention. So look at what he says in verse seven. Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Okay, remember that. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, so God says two things. He says, I have come to deliver them. Go deliver them. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. Also known as we. We are going to do this. He's already established who he is. He's reminded Moses of this promise that he has made them into this nation, this nation that has been enslaved. And now we're going to go set slaves free and we're going to do it together. It's going to be amazing. 
And so Moses, you know, he doesn't need Moses to do it. God doesn't need us for anything. But, but he wants to include him. He's like, hey, I love you. I love them. Let's do this together. And Moses, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Now you would think if, if there's, a, there's a shrub that is on fire, it is talking to you. He has established that he is God. And he's like, let's go set all of your people free from the oppression that you've seen firsthand. And so have I. We're going to go get him out. Let's go. And he's like, well, I don't know. And I hate that so much because I can relate to it, right? Like God's like, let's go do this amazing thing together. And I'm like, yeah, on paper, that sounds really good. But uh, what about this and this and this and this? If you read the rest of the, of the chapter and the next chapter, he offers all these objections to this awesome thing. You can, you can keep reading for yourself, but basically he's really insecure as an identity, in his own identity and his capabilities. He doesn't know what he would say to him. He knows how Pharaoh operates. I'm like, that would never work. Um, he doesn't think the Hebrews will believe him either. Uh, and he doesn't think he's very eloquent and can get the job done. And he keeps pushing back and he keeps pushing back and he keeps pushing back. And the reason why I hate that is because I feel like I have my own share of debates with the God of the universe who says, let's do this thing together. And maybe you do too. Like maybe there are times when there's something before you and it's, it can be intimidating, but do you find yourself coming up with all kinds of excuses? That's what Moses does. You read chapter three, chapter four, excuse, 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 one after the other, after the other, after the other. It's exhausting. And God is very patient with him and answers all his questions and, and like kind of, you know, talks him through it. But verse 12 is really, like, this is really the key. Look at verse 12. But I will be with you. This shall be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, the second part of it is, he'll be like, you'll bring them back here one day and then you'll know it was me the whole time. Well, that's, you know, that's not super helpful in the moment. But the first part says, but I will be with you. That, that's in the end of the discussion, really. Every other explanation that God gives him as they're dialoguing back and forth is just like, an, uh, like details and explanation based off this one big idea where Moses says, well, who am I? And God says, but I'll be with you. He could have just said that every, every time to every objection. I'm like, oh, but I'll be with you, but I'll be with you, I'll be with you. That that is his answer. So it's not only about God's presence, it's about his active presence. And who is actively present with him? He's, it's like he's saying, but I, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of uh, Isaac, will be with you. I, the, the, the promise-keeping God, I, the, the creator of the universe who spoke it all into existence, I, the miracle worker, I, the covenant maker and covenant keeper, I will be with you. The one who is bigger than you, higher than you, smarter than you, stronger than you, will be with you. It's almost like he's saying, hey, you know, you know I'm not going to stay here in this shrub, right? Like, you know that, right? Like, 
I'm not going to stay up on the mountain and then send you off to go do whatever and be like, good luck, dude. Like one of the, this is like a, a life detail that some people know, some people don't, but I was the, I was the drum major of the LSU Tiger Band my senior year at LSU, which some people think is really cool and some people think is really lame and I can see it both ways. And so, uh, but it was a, it's a fact about me and um, when, I don't know if they still do it this way, but basically whenever the new guy takes over, the old guy trains him. And so there was like this whole afternoon that I spent with the previous guy. And so he, you got to the practice field and he walks you through everything that the drum major has to do for practice and everything that you have to do for that. And then you go to the, to where the band steps off by the Greek theater and, and then march down the hill. And then there's, there's a lot that's going on in that moment. It may not seem like it, but there's a lot happening and timing and all this kind of stuff. He walks you through that and then go into the stadium and you go out on the field and he shows you all the pregame stuff. We go up in the bleachers and um, get up in there. He talks you through all the games and how you know when to play what and all, all these kind of things. And then um, you walk back and uh, you, all, all these questions, he hands you a folder and it has like uh, tips and advice and stuff from like the previous like dozen people, I guess, or whatever, hands, you, hands me this folder. And uh, he's like, um, he's like, all right, man, well, good luck. You know, never saw him again. Like never, never, ever saw him again one more time. Um, I wish I'd asked more questions. I wish I'd written some notes down, you know, that kind of thing. Never saw him again. He was no help to me, whatever. Uh, he is a Christian, so I'm gonna find him on the new earth. I'm like, dude, how could you completely leave me hanging like that, you know? This is not one of those situations where God's like, hey, we're, uh, go do this thing. I'm going to stay here and like, not consume this you know, bush for a while. And you just come back here with everyone else and uh, that kind of stuff. He's like, no, I will be with you. I'm not staying here. I'm going with you. Remember who is going with you, though. You do not go by yourself. At no point will you be powerless, clueless, hopeless, without direction. You will never be alone. I will be with you the whole time, but, but you got to go. We're going to go do it together, but you got to go. Now for us, it's even better because, uh, so God was, was with Moses. Jesus comes to the earth. There, a word becomes flesh, dwells among us. Jesus comes and then he connects us to God again, crosses us from death to life. Then he goes up, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. And so God's not only with us, uh, like next to us, but he is in us. And so we're in an even better position to just say, yes, Lord. To not have to say, but what about this? And what about this? To say, yes, Lord, because he says, I will be with you and I will be in you and I'm for you, and uh, I know more than you. I'm to your right and to your left, and I go before you and come behind you. Like I, You are so incredibly set up for success. Let's go do this thing together. Now, whatever this thing is will obviously vary for us. It could be relational for you. It could be, um, you, it could be really great relationship things. It could be having to break up with someone. It could be having to confess. It could be conflict resolution. It could be uh, forgiveness. It could be all these things. It, it could have to do with work and new territory with work. Maybe you're supposed to quit your job and, you know, whatever. It could be financial. Um, you could be trying to, cl- like, climb out of debt, but you're not sure that you can do it. And you're saying, but God, what about this? And what about this? And he's saying, hold on, I will be with you. It could be about school. You could be a college student about to start school or going into a really tough semester or going into grad school and you could be completely overwhelmed with the possibilities of what's in front. And maybe you just need to hear God whispering, but I will be with you, in you, and for you. 
Maybe it's about holiness and breaking out of sin patterns. Maybe you feel like, like there's something that has just got its grip on you and has had its grip on you for so long and there's no way that you can ever live without it. And he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. I will be with you. That anything we want to object to in any area of life, that God is countering us with that truth. I'll be with you. Let's go. I'll be with you. Let's go. Now, what it is for you and what it is for you and you and you, and you it's, all, it's going to be so different across the board. How it applies to you as a person or maybe if maybe husband and wife, maybe as a family, maybe as a community group, maybe as a church, whatever it is, God will be with us. We have nothing to fear. Be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what, how does that fit into where you are? I don't, only you know that. I don't know. But if you're here for the first time with us, we usually go from the teaching time into a bit of a response time where you can kind of process it a little bit before we are, because once we're done, you know how it is, man, like, like it's, you're into whatever's next at that point. But maybe God has given us some sacred space and a few more minutes together to be able to listen, to be able to object And to be able to hear him speak to us and whisper to us, but I will be with you. So there's kind of a fourfold response that we do here. We sing, we pray, we give, we receive. The singing, that's kind of obvious. The praying, you can pray where you are. You can come kneel at these steps and pray. Some of our ministers will be on the front row and they love to pray with you if you have something really specific or if you just want to know more about following Jesus, they'll be here. If you want to tithe or give a prayer request, there's little tables over here where that can happen. And the receiving part, that's that's communion and I always need to explain that a little bit. One thing is just the fundamentals of, of like you come to the table and you take the bread and you dip it in the juice and you take it yourself. And if you, are a, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're welcome. You're welcome. If you want what Jesus is offering to you in any capacity, you're welcome. That Jesus is offering himself to you. And sometimes we need those sacred, those sacred and tangible things to do. And he knows that. And so he's offering us the grace. And sometimes we just need that physical reminder of, yeah, he's, he's, he's in me, with me. And so I'm going to pray in a minute and then... Everything's going to kind of start moving around a little bit. And if you're new to us, just know that's normal. There's nothing wrong. But we want to give this, this time to this sacred space for God to, uh, to move and to continue to move. And to maybe help, us, help bring us to a, a, maybe a place of at least temporary closure for what we need to do next. Before it becomes lunchtime and go get the kid time and all that kind of stuff. So let me pray for us. As the band comes back, as our communion servers move into place, let's all stand together. So I've had you sitting for a while. Let me pray for us. And then we're just going to move into that time of fourfold response. God, your, uh, your presence here with us is a gift. Um, we don't want to ever take your omnipresence for granted. 
knowing that you are present, we can sense that you have been moving from the beginning of our time together. When you move through humble and contrite hearts, you move to, when we are open-handed and we, when we understand who you are and who we are, and when we humbly just ask you to have your way. And so we recognize the sacredness of our time together and the holiness of these moments. And you are the one speaking to us. You're the one guiding us along. You're the one that is, is leading us, going before us into these new seasons or into uh, sometimes really challenging situations, sometimes really great situations. And I pray in these moments together that we will really just breathe in deeply the truth and the reality that you will be with us, that you are with us, in us, for us, but also that we would recognize the significance of who that is, of who is who the I is in that sentence, but I will be with you. And that we would breathe that in deeply. And so may these moments be a time for us as individuals and corporately as a family that we just say yes to you. Instead of pushing back and objecting for all these reasons, we just let the fact that you'll be with us be enough. So as we sing and pray and give and receive, and you have your way in these next few moments. It may be about your glory and yours alone. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our communion tables are open. You can come when you're ready. Uh, Let's just be good stewards of this time.